been looking at the, the many different aspects of faith, how faith works, the many different faces of faith, what, what faith looks like. Uh, you know, and I know faith is, is really kind of one of those you know, elementary issues and, and fundamental things. And that's one of the reasons why I felt compelled to go to it is because oftentimes we can, we, we can get confused on what faith really is. And sometimes we can be operating in hope and think we're operating in faith. Sometimes we can think we have faith and in reality we have no faith at all because what we think is faith is not really faith. And, and so uh, we've been looking at this idea and, and, and a lot of these concepts. You know, Romans says, God has given to each one a measure of faith. And, and sometimes we can take that aspect or that, that particular scripture and and, and, you know, isolate it from the rest of the Word of God, and we can create this idea, well, that God somehow gives certain people greater measures of faith than He gives other people. And that's not really uh, scriptural in and of itself, that, uh, that somehow I as a pastor have more faith than you uh, as, you know, in, anybody that works out there in society. That's, that's not scriptural. As a matter of fact, you know, Romans also tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. In other words, we acquire faith by hearing the Word of God over and over again, not having heard it, not having heard concepts, not having heard principles, but hearing those principles constantly over the course of our life and allowing ourselves to be exposed to the Word of God over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, that's how we acquire faith. And so if you want more faith... You can get more faith, but it doesn't come by praying. It doesn't come, you know, by hoping. It comes by exposing yourself to the Word of God. The Word of God is the thing that activates faith inside of you. And so, in order to have faith, in order for our faith to work, uh, to function properly, uh, our believing has to be right, our confessing has to be right, and our thinking has to be right. All of those things have to work together to accomplish um, uh, and to bring about the work and the thing that God wants to do inside of your life or you're clinging upon a promise or something that God spoke to you. Uh, all of those things have to work. And most of the time, we, ha- we don't have a problem with the believing. But we really fall short oftentimes with the confessing and the thinking. Because we'll just let whatever come out of our mouth and we just think that it really doesn't mean anything. That whatever we say with our mouth and the things that we say with our tongue, that, that that doesn't really affect our faith. But it really does because it shows us what we really believe on the inside of our heart. Uh, you know, the scripture tells us all throughout the word of God how, how, how powerful the tongue is. Even, even in uh, Proverbs, it says the power of life and death are in the tongue. And, uh, and so we, we have to understand uh, those kind of important things. We, we, we've looked at how faith is now. That if it's not now, it's faith. And that anything that points to the future is hope. If you say, well, I believe God is going to heal me. Well, going is something that's going to happen in the future. And that is hope. That's not faith. And we don't receive anything from God through hope. We receive from God through faith. And so anytime we say something or we believe something that points to the future, we're actually operating in hope and we're not operating in faith at all. Because faith is now. Faith is, not faith will be. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's evidence right now of things that we do not see. It's believing that I have the answer before I have the answer. That's what faith is. And so we've, we've been looking at um, 
Faith is believing the promises of God. Even when every outward circumstance tells you something completely different. And and there's a lot of things that we have have covered here uh, throughout the past couple weeks. And really dissecting and diving right in so that we can fully understand what faith is and not operate in ignorance. And again, if you missed some of those, we do have um, most of those on our podcast and our website. But um, I want I want to ask you uh, just a question because I want to look at uh, a, maybe a different perspective, or maybe I want to look at the other side of faith. Um, and 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 in no way am what I'm talking about today uh, am, am I kind of uh, being counterproductive to what we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, Scripture says that faith is the only way that we please God. And so faith is, is fundamental. It's vital to our relationship with God. Uh, but today, I, I want to look at something a little bit different uh, and, and, and something where most of us have either found ourselves in at some point in our life or we find ourselves in right now. And so we hear this concept of faith and believing apart from, uh, you know, the, the contradictory circumstances. And we're like, well, that's that's great for you, but you're not going through what I'm going through. And it's just a little bit difficult on my end. And so I want to... Uh, <clears throat> And so I just want to, like, if I, if I was to ask you a question, what happens, what do you do in, in, in having faith? What happens when things don't seem to get better? What do you do when it seems like you wait and you wait and you wait and you're just going to end up waiting your entire life for that promise that you're holding on to? Because when we're talking about faith, we're talking about faith, uh, faith holding on to the promises of God. And I, I heard somebody, I think this past week, saying that there's like, I don't know, 500 and something promises of God in the Old Testament scripture. And how every single one of those promises are for us today. Well, when, we, when we hold on to those promises and when we look at those promises... Um, what happens when we hold on to those promises and we believe and we do not doubt in our heart and we believe and we believe and we believe and we feel like we're waiting and we're waiting and waiting and waiting and we're just waiting forever and the answer's not coming and, and, and God's not moving and it seems like God is not answering my prayer and, and what I believe and, I, and, it's like, and, and I'm trying to get everything right by thinking, by confessing, by believing and I, I feel like I got it all in order and yet for whatever reason... Uh, nothing seems to happen anyways. What, what do we do um, then? What do we do then? Um, you see, at the, at the foundation of all real and authentic faith, there has to be trust. There has to be trust when we're talking about your ability to have faith in God or have God's kind of faith. At the very foundation of all of that, there has to be trust. Uh, and faith, a faith without trust is really just kind of a form of us trying to manipulate God. Because really what we're trying to say is we're saying, well, I'm going to get this formula down. And once I get the formula down, then cha-ching, it's got to happen. Because I'm the one achieving and acquiring the formula. Therefore, God has to do it when I want him to do it. But trust requires 
One of the things that is necessary to be able to trust somebody is for you to have unanswered questions. If you have all the answers, you don't need to trust anybody. One of the things that's, that, that we have to, that, that is almost necessary for us to be able to trust God is, to, is for there to be uh, times in our lives or moments in our lives where the answer just doesn't seem to come. Maybe when we want it to come or maybe we feel like we have all of it figured out and we've got all of our ducks in a row and we're doing all the things that are right according to the scripture and yet we're like, but God, I have figured out the formula. Why isn't it working? working because there really is no formula because it's all about God anyways and sometimes God will hold his hand there's other times the enemy comes in to keep the answer from coming we don't really know all the reasons why things happen the way they happen but we know that it's not a if you push all the right buttons It'll happen for you in the moment that you want it. Because if it was that way, then it's really all about you. And you getting all the things that you want to get in the moment that you want to get it. And I hate to break the bad news to you, but the kingdom of God is not centered around you. It's just not. Uh, It's centered around Him. And our submission to His will, His plan, and His desires. So, at the foundation of all faith, there has to be trust. One of the most basic scriptures in all the Bible um, that talks about trust is found in Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says this. It says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Uh, trust in God. In other words, I have confidence in Him. Um, Have confidence in the Lord and do not lean on your own understanding. That word lean right there is um, is actually another word that could be translated trust. In other words, He's saying to trust God, not trust yourself. Trust God, don't trust your understanding. Or maybe your understanding could be better phrased like this. Don't trust your perception of the situation that you feel like you're in. Don't trust your discernment of where you think you are and what you think you're going through. I think many times we, uh, we pride ourselves as being very uh, perceptive people. You know, I'm a very perceptive person and I can see things about situations. Uh, And sometimes we can be very, we can pride ourselves at discerning situations, figuring things out before, um, you know, we really get the answer. And so what, what the scripture here is telling us to do is to stop trusting in your perception Stop trusting in your discernment. Stop trusting in your understanding of how you think your situation is going. What you think you're going through. The problem that you think that you're dealing with. Stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting your ability. And put your trust and confidence in the Lord. That whatever I'm going through right now. 
okay? Just go ahead and clean the slate inside of your mind of why you're dealing with the things that you're dealing with, why you're going through the things that you're going, why it's not coming, and just put your confidence and trust in the Lord. In other words, it's you just taking your stuff and saying, God, here, I let it go. It's not mine anyways. I can't fix it. Even if I could figure it all out, it's not going to make the problem better. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to give it to you. You have to trust God even when it seems like the answer is never going to come. You ever had those moments where it feels like the answer is never going to come? Just not ever. How long do I have to pray? How long do I have to ask? Hebrews 11, we've, we've looked a lot in Hebrews 11 over the past couple of days. Hebrews 11 is oftentimes referred to as the Hall of Faith. Anybody ever heard of the Hall of Faith before? Wow, really? That's pretty amazing. Uh, maybe it's not often referred to as the Hall of Faith, and I just thought it was. Either way, I'm calling it the Hall of Faith, okay, because I like that name, all right? But anyways... Throughout Hebrews 11, it goes through this whole list of people that went through things in their life and acquired promises because of their faith. And we look at them and we're like, oh, you know, but God did this through faith. And so here's, here's some of them right here, right? In the hall of faith. By, by faith, Abel offered a sacrifice that was better than Cain's. Okay, and he, he was pleasing to the Lord because of that. All right, Enoch was taken to heaven. So Enoch, by faith, was taken to heaven because he was, he was so close to God. God just said, you might as well just come up here and hang out with me up here. Because, uh, you know, it, and, and so by, that's how by faith, he just, he, he just went from being here to being in heaven. And uh, wow, what, what a really cool thing. By faith, Noah built an ark and his entire family was rescued from, from judgment and doom on the earth. And by faith, Noah built an ark, even though he didn't even know what, uh, uh, you know, what rain was and what a flood was. God just said, build a boat. And he said, okay. And, and by faith, he did it. And we look at that, we're like, wow, man, that's, that great faith rescued him. By faith, Abraham received an inheritance. Uh, he left his home country. God said, go until I tell you to stop. And he went and God gave him this land that was a great inheritance by God. He received that. By faith, uh, Sarah received the ability to conceive. And we, we look at that and we're like, wow, look at what by faith she received. By faith, Abraham offered or offered to offer Isaac or was willing to offer Isaac there in the sacrifice. By faith and trust, even in a moment where he didn't really understand why he still trusted God. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Moses refused to be called an Egyptian. Uh, and he left his place there uh, to be associated with the people of God rather than you know, the riches of the Egyptian empire. By faith, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. And we look at that moment of great danger for the Israelites trapped between the enemy and the Red Sea. And by faith, Moses takes a stick and he, this whole sea goes, and we're like, whoa, man. Like, wow. By faith, they passed over on dry land. Look at all the great things faith does. 
by faith, the walls of Jericho's fell down. When the, they, you know, the Israelites were claiming the promised land, and they're standing there before Jericho, by faith it says that they walked around Jericho for seven days, and, and they encamped, and they believed in God, and by faith they shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. By faith, Rahab did not perish along with those who were disobedient. She was a prostitute and made way for, the, for God's people to have, have victory in battle. Jesus said that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and do not doubt it in your heart, but believe that what you say, that it will be done. Then you can, by faith, you can cast mountains into the sea. So all of those things are, are written in the first 31 chapter, 31 verses in Hebrews 11. And then Hebrews 11 changes. And, and that's where I want to I kind of pick up is in verse 32. <clears throat> and what more shall I say for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Okay, listen, there it is again. In other words, I don't don't even have time to tell you all the great things that God did because of man's faith. There they are, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, all the prophets. Think about Elijah and Elisha and the great miracles that they had performed. It says, who by faith conquered kingdoms performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises. There they are, the promises, those 500 and something promises throughout the Bible. By faith, they obtained promises. Shut the mouths of lions. Quenched the power of fire. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. And women who received back their dead by resurrection... And then it changes right here. I want you to look. It says, And others were tortured, not accepting their release, so they might obtain a better resurrection. So it goes from all these great miracles to now people are being tortured. Okay. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Now, I went through the first part of the Hall of Faith, and you're like, yes, for the glory of the Lord, I receive faith is powerful and do great things. And now I list the last part. And you're like, I, uh, I don't know if I like the whole destitute, wandering in the wilderness, uh, being cut in two. That's not cool. That, anybody else there with me? Okay. There's a few of you. The rest of you, you're, you're a better man than I am. Okay. <clears throat> all of these, all of these people, all of these people that it mentions right there at the end, okay, every single one of them, whatever, they were stoned, imprisoned, tempted, put to death with a sword, destitute, afflicted, 
ill-treated. All of these men gained approval through their faith. Through their faith. And they did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive what was promised. All those promises, the promises that we can claim all throughout that, that time, these are people in the Bible that did not receive the promises. Even though that they were believing, even though that they walked in faith, even though all of those kinds of things that they did not believe, they, they, did, not, uh, they did not receive the promise. And yet, even in their faith, they gained approval by God through their faith because the Scripture tells us that faith is the only way we can please God. It's the only way you can live and be pleasing to God is to do it through faith. And these are, are talking about men and women who, who, who through their life of faith in God and believing in God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, still had faith and they gained approval, even though in their lifetime they never saw the promise come. And there's times that we can look Throughout Scripture, and we can see this, you know, there's a, there's a passage that, uh, that says, God will give His angels charge to watch over you to keep you safe in all you do. Amen? It's one of the promises of God. We pray it. I pray it over my family. I pray it over my kids. I pray it all the time. Any moments in my life where I have fear, or moments of fear uh, in my house or with my family, I pray that Scripture. God, you have given your angels charge to watch over me, keep you safe in all I do. Well, that's a promise of God. And you want to know some people that did not receive that promise? How about most of the disciples who all died a martyr's death? Um, you know, they didn't receive that promise. What about people that live today that are persecuted because of their faith? Now, it's easy for us to buy into that concept because we live in a very easy society. Um, we don't really have religious persecution outside of maybe, you know, somewhat political or, you know, political correctness or whatever you want to call it. We don't have real persecution. But, you know, there are just, there are times where maybe we stand upon the promise and the promise doesn't come and what do we do in those moments? How do we live our life and how do we respond to that in our life when we are clinging to the promise? When somehow what we believe in our heart doesn't line, out, line up with what, what we believe about God's word and what God's word says for whatever reason doesn't line up with what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing in the world that I live in and what I'm going through. How can you continue to have faith when you never receive the promise? It's by having confidence and trust in the goodness and sovereignty of God. That's how you do it. How do you have faith when the promise never comes? Is by trusting in the goodness and the sovereignty of God. That his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know, God has this, this whole conversation with Job. Because Job, you know the story of Job. Job, you know, 
was a blessed man, didn't do anything wrong, had everything figured out right. And yet God allowed Job to be tested and took everything from him, uh, everything that he had, including his health. Uh, he took everything from him. And Job began to be like, you know, you know, after having some wonderful friends come and speak into his life, and that's just a hint of sarcasm there, okay? Uh, if you know anything about it, he didn't have wonderful friends. They were... Uh, they were extremely messed up, uh, but it really was no different than the way people thought in Jesus' day. But, uh, you know, Job was like, why, God? Why? And God goes through this. He begins to talk to Job. And he says, where were you when I formed the foundations of the earth? Oh, man, if... If you're so smart and perceptive and discerning, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? When I set its borders in place? When I spoke and light came into existence? Where were you then? (laughs) And Job's like, okay, you win. Right? I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Extreme paraphrase. So what do you do? How do you have faith when the promise refuses to come? Well, you trust in the goodness and sovereignty of God. In Daniel chapter 3, as I mentioned earlier, we were going to look at this. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, this is a story. If you grew up in church, you've heard the story You know, um, it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being in the fiery furnace. And, and, you know, basically some uh, some people came to the king, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, and said, Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, old wise, great king, let's make this rule that at this certain time during the day, the bells are going to ring, and everybody in the country needs to bow down and worship you because you're king and you're sovereign, all this kind of stuff. So, So Nebuchadnezzar made this rule. And they put it in place. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down. And they were actually leaders in charge of certain things and everything. Well, these, these scribes and people that encouraged the king to place this rule found out about this. And they went and told the king, said, hey, uh, these guys aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And so the king, you know, calls uh, these three guys to him and says, hey, listen, this is law. We have set this into place and this is something you must do. And if you don't do it, we're going to throw you in this furnace of fire over here. And... Um, and, and of course, you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were they were um, they they had resolve in their heart as to what was right and what was wrong. Okay, and I want you to listen to their response. Response it says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us." from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. All right? Our God is able, and he will. But listen to the next verse right here. It says, but if he does not, if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they said this, I know he is able, I know that he will. But if for some reason in his sovereignty, 
decides not to, we will still not bow down and worship your gods. You, and you can say, well, that's not really faith. But you know what? People have had to go through this all throughout the course of history. What about the disciples? You think the disciples didn't think that it was possible for Jesus and God to rescue them when, they were, when, when, uh, when, when, when Paul was about to be headed? You think he didn't have the faith to believe that God could rescue him? Or when Peter was about to be hung on a cross upside down, do you think that he didn't have the faith that God could rescue him in that moment? He did. But it's in that moment that their rescue didn't happen and they still remained faithful to the end. And the stories are endless about people who haven't, who didn't receive the promise, who believed and believed and believed and got all the things right in place. And yet, even in the end, the promise never came. And yet they still had unwavering faith. We know the end of that story. We know that God showed up and God Set them free, but I did want to show you the fact that they still said, you know what, it doesn't matter what God decides to do. He's sovereign, I'm not going to question it. Because I know what's right in my life, the way I should live, the things that I should do, the attitude that I should have in this particular moment, and that's the way I'm going to live. I think one of the things that the enemy does and maybe it's not the enemy. Maybe sometimes it's just us. I don't want to give credit where credit is not due. Maybe it's human nature. I don't really know. But it's so easy to become self-absorbed in our struggle and in our pain that we lose sight of our purpose here on earth. You know, why we live. Um and the eternal purpose that we have. Have you ever noticed that um, you can, um, like a paper cut. Have <laughs> you ever had a paper cut? And those things are so aggravating, right? You get a paper cut, and you're like, oh my gosh. And, and your entire body, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of your body. Your entire body is focused on that stinking little cut right there on your finger. Because that's all you can think about because of that moment, you know, that, that, it, that it's happened, you know. You, you can have a headache, and you're not thinking about the headache anymore. The only thing you can think about is that stupid little cut right here that every time you stick it in water, okay, it hurts, and sometimes in our life, okay, we have issues. You know, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. And we have things that come and get in our way and things that happen. And, and, and sometimes we, we look around at our situation and the things that we're going through in life. And we're like, why, God, why? And we become self-absorbed with the things that we're dealing with in our life that we miss out on the plan and purposes of God because God wants us to be thinking out here, not in here. Yet the kingdom of God is not a me, 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 throw myself a little pity party because everything's not going my way. 
The kingdom of God is about what I can give to make a difference in this world. And if I got some junk I'm dealing with, I will just have faith in God's word and I will trust him that he's going to take care of it all in the end anyways. But we can become self-absorbed with our little world and our stuff and our situation that we become, we, we are rendered ineffective in our ability to make a difference in the lives of people and advance the kingdom of God because all we can think about is me. Me. What I want from God. What I need from God. And we miss out on being the person that God wants you to be. And so we can throw this lifelong pity party for ourselves and never reach the potential that God wants us to have when it comes to his eternal purposes for our life. You know, John the Baptist had a moment like this. You know, Rob, if you'll come. John, John the Baptist had a moment like this. I want to I wanna read to you in Matthew chapter 11. You know, Jesus made the statement that John the Baptist was the greatest man born of men to ever live. And yet even John the Baptist, you know, he had moments in his life. Um, you know, Elijah had a moment like this. The, the, yeah, the great Elijah who called fire down from heaven. Yes, he, he had a moment like this. But I want, us to, I want us to look at specifically what happens with John the Baptist because it, it kind of goes to another level. But in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished giving instruction to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. Now, just so that you understand the context of what's going on, John was the forerunner. John, he went and preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, repent. He, he paved the way for Jesus. He paved the way. Um, and now he, he upset Herod because he confronted his sin like he was supposed to. And really it was Herod's wife or mistress that really didn't like, like him. And so she said, hey, I, I, I want you to cut John's head off. I want you to bring it to me. All right. So John is in prison about to be executed about to be executed. And, and John is in prison hearing about Jesus doing all these great works. Okay. He sent word to Jesus by his disciples. And he said to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? <laughs> if there's anybody that should know who Jesus is, wouldn't you think it'd be John, right? Because how many of you were there Okay, how many of you you jumped in in, in in your mama's belly, okay, when you met Jesus? How many of you were there, you know, and saw the Son of God walking around amongst? How many of you were there, and how many of you baptized Jesus? How many of you were there that saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove? How many of you heard the words of God saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased? Well, it wasn't you, but it was John the Baptist. But for whatever reason, something's going on inside of John's mind like, 
Are you really the one? Are you really the one or should we expect somebody else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. That last scripture just doesn't really seem to fit. Just doesn't seem to fit the context of what's going on. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, look, man, go tell them, dude. I'm, you know, the blind receive their sight, the deaf are hearing again, the lame are walking, the dead are rising from the dead. Woo! Revival is happening in the streets. Of course I'm the one, John. You know that. And then he throws in the scripture, blessed is he who is not offended by me. What does that mean? What is he trying to say? Well, here's what that means. John was asking Jesus, if you're the one, why aren't you coming to rescue me? Why aren't you coming to get me out of this jam I'm in? Why aren't you saving me from my trouble, from my turmoil, from my pain? Why aren't you you concerned about me? Why aren't you concerned about me, Jesus? If you're the one, why aren't you coming to get me out? Why aren't you coming to rescue me? And Jesus reaffirms this. The blind receive their sight, the deaf heal, the lame walk. The dead are rising again. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. In other words, John, I'm not coming to get you, buddy. I'm not getting you. This is a part of the plan and the divine will and purposes of God. But blessed is the person that in that moment, when they don't receive the promise, that they don't take offense at me. How many people are offended in this world today at God because God didn't do something that they thought God should do? Huh? How many people in this world blame God for every bad thing? Why didn't God do this? Why wasn't God here for this? Why wasn't God here when this happened to me? Why, why if God is so good, we blame God and we blame God. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying right here. Blessed is he who is not offended at me. You know the word offense? That word offense, blessed is me who does not take offense at me. That word offense comes from a Hebrew word that means this. To put a stumbling block or impediment in the way. In other words, blessed is he who does not allow your trouble and circumstances in your life to become a stumbling block to you, to become an impediment, something that will keep you from pushing forward in God's purposes and plans in your life. Here's another thing. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust or to desert. Something in your life that would cause you to distrust God. 
That's what it means. Blessed is he who does not allow themselves to be put in a position where they can distrust God because of something that's happened in their life. Where they don't allow that stumbling block to get in their way to keep them from becoming everything that God wants them to become. Or maybe it can mean this, to be displeased. You ever feel displeased with God? Blessed is he who is not displeased with me. Can you live in faith even when the promise refuses to come? Even when the answer doesn't seem to be getting any nearer, can you still live in faith? Or better yet, can you serve others, love others, minister to others, even when, you, even when the thing that you desire the most continues to delay? Can you be others focused? Can you be others focused? Even when the thing that you want the most and hurt the most about continues to not come when you think it should come. That's what real faith is. Real faith. Faith is not becoming self-absorbed with our issues and our problems in our life. Okay, It's believing God's word and trusting in him and allowing ourselves to continue to press on to press on and to be everything that God wants us to be, to be others focused, to minister to others, to impact others, because that's what the kingdom of God is about. Come on, will you stand to your feet today?